Good morning, everyone. Uh, my friends, you probably, uh, our Sunday readings come from a lectionary, what's called a lectionary, and we have uh, three years, and through those three cycles, we cover almost all of them. So we're in year B. Uh, second Sunday of Lent uh, always has the transfiguration, but the first and second reading changes. Uh, so uh, we've heard from Genesis, and a lot of Christians have, uh, they have a lot of, uh, they get upset by this reading because uh, God is asking his friend Abraham to sacrifice his son. And so I've approached it different ways over the years with you, so I thought I would approach it from another perspective. So my friends, um, Abraham, uh, back in their time, they lived in tribes. So there were different tribes of people, and they were in close proximity to each other. One of the, one of the tribes is the Canaanites. And uh, they would exchange business with each other. Uh, of late, in the past 75 years, excavations in the area that the scriptures talk about, uh, unfortunately, they have found evidence of human sacrifice and children that were sacrificed. So uh, it was a practice back then. And uh, um, my friends, um, so when we look at this, um, that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice wouldn't be shocking to Abraham because the tribes around him were doing it. They were sacrificing to their gods. What would be surprising is, remember, Abraham is old, and his wife was old, and they didn't have a child. This is his only child, and he gets a child finally from God at 90. Now God is asking for the child. That's what doesn't make sense to me, or probably to Abraham. But Abraham, as the scriptures tell us, said he figured God can do anything. He can even raise the dead, so I'm going to do what he asks, because he's always been faithful. So he takes the child up as God has asked. And then uh, we are told when he's ready to strike the child with the knife, a uh, messenger says, don't lay a finger on this child. And uh, this is a hard lesson. Uh, we could ask why couldn't God have done it in a different way, but um, this is the way he did it. So uh, what he did was no more human sacrifice. No. You won't hurt him. You won't hurt any other human from this point because later in the scriptures, God will ask Abraham, I want you to separate yourself from the other people. You will not do what they do. You will not act as they act. So it was a tough lesson for Abraham to learn, but he learned it. No human sacrifice. God does not desire this. He is not pleased by it. And uh, but that wouldn't be the only time God would separate people. Uh, Moses, the same way. He would tell you, I want your people to be different. And here's the way they're going to be different. I will give you the commandments. He said, follow these commandments. They'll make you different. And Jesus will do the same thing. He will call his disciples to live differently from his time. So uh, I'm pointing out, so you can see it then. So this might help you to understand this hard reading from Genesis. Why would the Father do this? Why would God the Father ask this? This is his, what he was going to do, was show him no human sacrifice. But what comes also out of it is the absolute obedience of Abraham and his faith in God. Our second reading, um, St. Paul to the Romans is saying, since God is for us, not only for us, but with us, 
Because God is on your side, he does not hate you. He is not your enemy. He is your friend. Because of this, you will be able to face whatever comes. And this will be important because a whole lot comes our way in this world. And so, my friends, this brings us to what we know as the transfiguration. And there's many ways to approach it, and I've done it in different ways. I always try and look for something that's a little bit different. And my friends, uh, lately, uh, with all the advancements that have been going on with uh, science and artificial intelligence, Holy Father's chimed in on it, and uh, um, with all of that, we're making great gains, but we still understand very little about the workings of God in his creation of the world and the universe. My friends, current technology can describe what we experience, but not necessarily always explain to it. And in the past, I've pointed out why the earth rotates as it does, in the angle that it does, why the sun is at that perfect distance where we don't get burned up from it, but, right, and uh, the big one that I always point out is gravity. Science can talk about gravity all at once, but it still can't explain how exactly it works. And uh, my friends, uh, when we look at this, um, all these things are amazing, and there are still mysteries, great mysteries in the universe, and today we celebrate one of God's great mysteries, which we call the Paschal Mystery. The Paschal Mystery is... Uh, includes uh, very strictly it's the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but his incarnation can be included in the Paschal mystery. It's a mystery. The Father's plan was that his only begotten Son, his beloved one, would go from suffering to joy, from humiliation in this world to glory, from human death into life. And my friends, the Father's glory would shine upon His Son, and the Spirit's life-giving power like rain would raise up the body of Jesus, not just resuscitate Him, but it would be the resurrection, a glorious splendor. And my friends, and this is where people don't understand. The apostles were told at the end of the reading, we don't know what He's talking about. <laughs> they were wondering, what is rise from the dead? So one of the things that comes out of the transfiguration, it was meant to encourage the people of their time. It was meant to encourage the disciples. It was also what I call, uh, this one's very unique because it's a theophany and an epiphany. Epiphany is where God reveals himself to people. Theophany is where, in my sense of humor, where God talks to himself. So he talks to his son, the Holy Spirit. In this case, on this mountain, we get to experience it all, not only the theophany where God is talking to his son and telling his son, this is my, you are my beloved son, but he's also letting us have a peek at it. And um, in this, there is something that sometimes gets missed about the transfiguration. It is a promise of the resurrection, the very thing the gospel today ends with, where the disciples don't understand. In spite of the fact that Jesus of Nazareth would suffer. He is seen on the top of this mountain 
what we call the transfiguration of a glorious Messiah. He is different from all the others that have come before as they understood it. He's much more than any prophet. He's much more than any gifted healer. He's much more than any gifted homilist. He's much more than all of this. But he is going to suffer. What happens just before they go on the mountain, Jesus has told them, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the authorities. They are going to execute me. And guess what? I'm going to rise from the dead. They don't understand. Rise from the dead. I don't know what that means. They misunderstood all the suffering because he talked about his suffering and the disciples misunderstood. And Christ is transfigured before the disciples to show them his glory, to help them, to help us. The transfiguration ultimately becomes the symbol of the resurrection. When our Lord was transfigured, a profound change took place in him. The other gospel writers, Luke and Matthew, have more detail. Mark says his clothes were dazzling. Luke and Matthew say he himself was dazzling with light. The white clothes are symbolic of something from the Old Testament. It usually... One time, it, sometimes it means angels, and Jesus is not an angel. He is uh, the Son of God. But it also represented life. So at the moment of transfiguration, this symbol of the dazzling, dazzling clothes becomes a symbol of the resurrection. The mystery of the transfiguration is a source of encouragement. Christ has spoken of his disciples' participation in his passion. Just as he would die, so would his disciples. The disciples, Jesus will say, you must pick up your cross and deny yourself. And cross, this is, there's only one cross for me, that's that one. But in vernacular, cross means challenges in your life. And he, Jesus warned them, they're going to do what they did to me, they're going to do to you. The only one who escapes that is John the Beloved. And why does he escape that? And that's not even the proper word for it, because he's going to take care of Mama Mary. <laughs> but Jesus says, you will deny yourself and take up your cross. This involves a, a, life, a life, lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ, meaning making way for him in your life. This is what disciples do. If you're not doing this, you're really not that then, or you haven't gotten there yet, right? Self-denial is to die to, die, to die to the selfishness and even self-pity in this world. It is to die to self in order to serve. That's what Jesus said. I've come so that I may serve. My disciples will do the same thing. You are baptized, you are his disciples, strictly speaking, right? And... So he shows him a glimpse. My friends, the story, the veil which separates the invisible from the visible in this world, from the future, uh, from the present, is revealed momentarily for them. They see the truth in Jesus of Nazareth. A truth that they don't quite understand yet. The disciples of Christ will share in his resurrection. But he says, first you will share in my sufferings. So this promise 
the account of the transfiguration, we are told about the Shekinah, the cloud. The cloud comes and overshadows them. Not just Jesus, all of them. It's like a blanket. It wraps them in. The symbolism of that is that they will enter into. They are now part of the plan. They are going to have to suffer. We are going to have to suffer. We're part of that plan. But they will also be taken up into glory because that is what's revealed. They will have a share. You will have a share in that glory because you are his disciples. Today we are encouraged as they were to be. Now we have hindsight. We're able to see that uh, the transfiguration was supposed to help the apostles for that time when Jesus would be executed and they would be terrified. They would run. Jesus would have to rise from the dead in order for them to believe. We have hindsight, we understand that, and yet many disciples today do not believe. Experience teaches us that we share in his passion. That is real. Almost all of us know suffering. You know that. But you're not making the leap about the resurrection. We know pain and suffering. We share the passion of Christ by these experiences. Today we see the purpose of our suffering. Here is where everything changes. We are to share the glory of Christ. We see now the purpose of life. My friends, we are blessed to be able to look back in faith upon this Paschal mystery, to believe that Jesus died and yet was raised up to realize that the transfiguration was a prelude and a foreshadowing of the resurrection from the dead. All of this has taken place for our benefit, for our salvation. Jesus didn't die for his Father. He died for you. And my friends, of late, when loved ones go before us in death, my dear, I want you to listen very carefully because you are suffering now and mourning and loss of your husband. When a loved one goes before us in death, we may be inclined to think that this is this awesome aspect of what Father Mark's talking about, the resurrection. This is the church. This is Jesus, not just some priest. Being a disciple, the resurrection of his faithful ones makes no sense. Maybe it's just fanciful thinking. When faced with our own impending death, we too can be tempted to fear that we will disintegrate into nothingness, that we just simply won't exist anymore. One may ask themselves, can it be true? This wonderful promise of the resurrection to the fullness of life. Jesus has given us the promise of resurrection, a guarantee for our faith and strength of hope now. In this time, Jesus' words, his promise, we hear it from the Father. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Listen means not just listen with your ear. Listen in Jesus' time and do something. Act upon what you believe. And my friends, 
The New Testament, the reason why the church holds it, holds it in such high esteem, because it shows everything that Jesus did and said. You don't have to ask anymore, what does God want? Jesus, when we see Jesus speak, it's God speaking. When we see Jesus act, it's God acting. When he forgives, it's God's forgiveness. That's why, do you ever notice, we stand at the gospel readings because of the dignity, integrity of the New Testament, particularly the gospels. And when the gospel is proclaimed in faith, respect, and dignity, we stand. We stand and process to the sanctuary to receive Holy Communion, and in this instance, the standing is important. Mary is at the cross standing. She has not fallen in fear and anxiety. She stands in faith at the cross of her son, even though that wretched thing, the execution is happening. We do the same thing. We stand because it is a sign of the resurrection and belief. That's why we stand. That's why Mary stood at the cross, not on laying down or on her knees. She stood. That's why we do it when we profess for the Eucharist. We stand. God who guides all the mysteries of our universe will not fail to lead us to the fullness of life. That is his promise in his Son. If we are to understand fully the meaning of the Paschal mystery and the transfiguration story, and thus enter fully into Jesus' glorification, we must be open to the transfigurations within ourselves. For this is our destiny as disciples. We must let go of fears and doubts. We must let go of small visions and things about this world. People think now is everything. It is not. The transfiguration gives us a view of something else, something greater Listen to Jesus. He opens for us the holy mysteries of our redemption and revealing the remarkable compassion, mercy, forgiveness, love, and care of his Father. We must allow Jesus to transfigure us. It begins at baptism and continues now in this world. For you, Jesus, are our resurrection and our life, the repose of the souls of your faithful ones. Christ, our God, to you we ascribe all power, all glory, all honor, together with your Father and ours, who is from everlasting, and the life-giving Holy Spirit, the third person of the sacred trinity, now and forever until the ages upon ages, Amen. So my friends, I leave you with this. It comes from Ephesians. So be imitators of God as his beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and handed himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to God for a fragrant aroma. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord Live as children of light, for light produces every kind of goodness and righteousness and truth. And he ends that letter to them, because these are letters that St. Paul's writing uh, to the communities. He ends it with, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You know what is pleasing to the Lord. We're just stubborn. 
and sometimes won't do it. You'll see what's hanging in that decision. Life or death. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Truly be his disciple. Truly live with that belief, with hope. Walk now in holiness. So when that time comes, you will be transfigured and you will share in glory with him. For that is your destiny. Friends, as your pastor, uh, pastors are given the, they must pray for their people. Must is the wrong word. It's an opportunity, and it's my honor to do this for you. So my friends, as you journey as disciples in this world, with hope in your heart and expectation, I pray that you have the obedience and the foresight of Abraham, our father in faith, that you have the perseverance of St. Paul, the apostle, and that you have compassion and patience as Christ himself has. Amen.